0: Um, we're thinking about um, the subject of identity. Continuing to think about that, we're thinking about the series that we're in. Who do you think you are? Who are we? What makes us human? Um, how can we find out who we really are? And one of the questions that I want us to—I want to put over the talk today. One of the things I want us to think about is—is is freedom. And I want us to ask, I want you to ask yourself right now in this moment, are you free? do you feel do you feel free, or you could perhaps put it another way: do you feel like uh you're at liberty to get the most out of your life? Are you feeling free? um I was reading up about a Swiss philosopher called Jean jacques Rousseau, not for fun, purely for research um and one of the ways that he thought about the world is that one of his big statements, one of his realizations, I guess, was that, I think the quote is, all men are born free. We're all born free. We start free. But to finish uh, his most famous quote, the most famous quote that he delivered, all are born free, um, but we're all in chains. All people are born free, but the all, every, everywhere I look, I guess, is his realization, we're all in chains. And he wrote so um, beautifully about this, I guess it wasn't just him, but um, as he wrote about this, this stirred up um, people, and some of the people that, that were stirred up were stirred up in France, and we went on to have the an awareness of the, you know, of the way that people were enslaved and people were enchained and the need for freedom and the French Revolution happened. Now, this guy had some beautiful ideas about freedom, if you go on to read his philosophy, he the way that he, you know, this lovely idea, we're all free. We all, we're all born free and we all ought to be free. But the way that he thought we needed to go about freedom, if you lived in the countryside, quite interesting this, if you lived in the countryside, you'd be fine. I thought the nature would keep you on a level. If you're in the cities, you're going to need some, some more rules. That's how he went about freedom. Got quite militant about folk in the city. So he started off pretty awesome. All men are born free, um, but we're all in chains. Ended up just saying, if you're going to achieve that freedom, then we're going to need some pretty awesome rules and we're going to stamp down on people. Um, it can be a tricky thing, freedom, can it? Tricky to know that if you're free. When do you feel most free? On your holiday? With your kids? With your partner? Down the shops? Scrolling on social media? Do you feel free then? Or do you feel watched? feel kept? When do you feel the most free? Who is freer? Let's think about this for a question. Who is freer, a Christian, somebody looking to God, a person of faith, or somebody who's not bound up in all that religious stuff? Who's the freer person? Is it possible for us to be really free? Is that what is that what it's all about? Uh, was Jean-Jacques Rousseau right? Well, were we free in the beginning? It's about staying free. One of the big themes of the Bible, and one of the big themes of God's people, we've been thinking about God's people, is, are they free? Are they free? If you read, the, depending on how you um, term the idea of God's people, how far back you go in the story, I guess you go right up, up to now, don't you? But in the Bible anyway, are these are this people free? They're always been enslaved. They're always being captured. They're always having to fight for their freedom. Are they getting the most out of their lives? Um, so we're going to look at the story from two ways. I think the text, rather, I think the text asks us to look at the story from two ways. First bit of the story reminds us of what it's like to look up, to try and search for this freedom. It's a, like an earthly perspective, looking up to God, what it's like on the ground to try and search for freedom. And the second part of the text, I think, is more God looking down at our efforts um, to live out that kind of freedom. So the first part of the the passage, um, maybe you could read along with me, verse one to five, just to jog your memories. When Samuel grew old, and if you remember from the text, um, Samuel wasn't always old, and for a long time he was running around, here, there, and everywhere. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. Uh, The name of his first ball, first ball, The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. And they served at Bathsheba, or to put it another way, somewhere out of the way, if you know your geography. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So those of you that have been coming for the last couple of weeks, just have a think, see if that story rings any bells or it's familiar to any of the other stories that you've heard about. So all the leaders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah to kick off. They said to him, doesn't say to kick off, but that's what it was. They said to him, you are old. I get a bit of that increasingly. I don't know if you had that. Somebody starts a a sentence like that. You are old. So undermine you. That's what they're trying to do when they say something like that. You are old and your sons... Do not follow it in your ways. Thankfully, they don't say that as often. You are old and your sons do not follow it in your ways. Now, appoint a king to leaders such as all the other nations have. So, first of all, notice what's at stake in this text freedom of sorts, the nation, the idea of having your own space, geographical or perhaps religious. They're going to need to be in that space to have religious freedom. Also, what's at stake is, is being authentic to God. God's called them to live a certain way, there's certain procedures that they've got to go through this is at stake being in God's will is at stake but what else is at stake how does it feel ask yourself how it feels to be in this moment take yourself into the story and into the text this is remember it's the Game of Thrones world that we're living in there are enemies everywhere you're where you turn there are people that want your land everywhere your turn what's at stake is freedom religious freedom being authentic to God but also your country your back garden your way of life, your stability, your security. There is the reality of the moment. There is the reality of what it feels like. And in the back of all their minds, I don't know if you spotted uh, the allusion to an earlier story, Samuel is old. Now think back, I can't think exactly which chapter it is, somebody will shout it out. Think back to previous chapters. Samuel is old and your sons have gone wayward. This is a repetition of the story of Eli and Hophni. And Phineas. In a sense, it's a really straightforward story. In a sense, they know that God's their God, and they know that they shouldn't they shouldn't have a king before them. But the view from the ground, the reality of the situation on the ground, must have looked a lot different than that. They're making their minds up about this stuff, given the dodgy past of Eli, looking up at old Samuel. They're looking over at the enemies, you know, I don't know, a few miles down the road. They've got to live this thing out in the reality of where they are now. And that, I don't know how you feel about that, but I think that can be difficult sometimes. The word I've put in my notes is foggy. I couldn't find a more appropriate word than that. It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? We're called examples. We are called to be holy, pure, spotless. And at different seasons of your life, different circumstances, you think, how on earth? That just..." You want to say to God, that's just not realistic for me. It's not a realistic thing that, that you're asking me to there. Do you know what's available on the internet? Do you know what's going on at my school? You almost look to God and you say, I know what you're saying about how it is, but I feel like I need to... It's the idea of getting your own king. I know what the fruits of the Spirit are. Do I know what the fruits of the Spirit are? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, I've been schooled in all this. I know what all that that is. But see that at work. That's just, that's not going to work at work. It's never going to work at work. And you feel like we know how it is. In a sense, it's straightforward. But actually, the reality, what it's like to live this life out, it's difficult, isn't it? Notice with me what they end up doing in verse four. Even though I think at what the core of what they're trying to do is keep their freedom and live separate holy lives. I think that's still the intentions of Israel's leaders. Even at this time, I think they're looking at Samuel and going, this isn't the best path, but we still wanna be a nation of Israel. We still wanna be God's people. Notice what they end up doing. Verse four, they get a king. They look strong. They look round at what everybody... This is their plan. This is the plan of the elders and leaders. Let's look around at what everybody else is doing and do what they're doing in order to keep our nation and to keep being God's people. Just conforming. I found that really enlightening. I think it's amazing how often in our life when what we're trying to do or what's in the back of our mind to do is live out our Christian life is just is get through how often the circumstances of life weigh in on that. And what we actually end up doing in order to live this different life is just conforming. Whether you think of it in a church context, or whether you think of it as your own Christian life at work, we just end up thinking, I know where I am right now, and I want to talk to you about this, God, but I'm just going to have to do what everybody else is doing in this moment. Some of the, some of the words that we've sung... And I've I've been loving the singing at Christchurch since we've been able to start singing again. I think we're getting awesome at singing. Some of the words that we sing, some of the truths that we celebrate, some of the freedoms that we talk about, some of the liberties that we have in Christ. We sing joyously about it on a Sunday. These truths are really hard to walk in the rest of the week. There's this idea in the story of a king. The people want a king. There's this idea of raising something up in the nation of Israel to get them through the circumstances that they're in. Many of the things that we choose as the way through for us in life, things that we make kings, if you like, are based on, often, the reality of the moment, how it feels to be us right now. Or what everybody else is doing. So many of the things that we lift up in our lives and we exalt in our life and we say, yeah, this is, this is the way I need to get through is based on just what we look around and see other people doing or what we're going through right now. And what it means for us as human beings is that we lift up so many things in our lives that aren't helpful or we take things in our lives that are perfectly good things and we end up lifting them into positions of crazy authority and responsibility in our lives, money, pleasure, popularity, career, whatever you want to name it, they get shunted right up to the top. It's difficult to live out God's calling from the ground up. From the from the heavens down is the next part of the story, and we're reading, um, as the story flips, verses 6 um, through 9, it changes direction, and it's less... It's less about looking up and it's more about how God um, sees all this. So we'll read through verse 6 to 9 first. But, But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. Actually, listen to what they're saying. It's not you they've rejected. They've rejected me as the king as they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me, serving other gods. It looks like that. So they are doing to you. I think you see in this part of the story, to put it mildly, Samuel's hacked off. I don't know what he's thinking in the back of his mind. Maybe he's thinking, actually, I'm pretty sure we can get away with this. I'm sure I can find a way through with this. He takes it really personally and God interjects and speaks to him. And what he says, I think, is crucial for everything that we raise up in our lives. Everything we think is about the moment that we're in. And God says to Samuel, it's not you that they're rejecting. It's not your ways. It's not really even because you're old. It's not even really because of what your sons have done. God sees through. God sees through the fog that we struggle to see through. He sees what's really going on, and he identifies it in this text, and he says, what's been rejected here, even though it's really wild out there, even though we're under threat, what's been rejected here is me. The story takes us to a place where we're caused to think about how, as the circumstances of life embroil us, as we live it out in the moment, as we look up to heaven, how often we reject God, thinking we're just doing doing our best. And it causes us to sort of sit and reflect on that. And it causes us to think about our God looking down on us, if that works. Seeing how often that we say, flustered, I'm gonna go down this route. I'm gonna try this route here. The story moves on uh, into verse 10. And I think... Um, Often God's word speaks to us, that main purpose is to reveal who he is, and often as it does that, it shows us who we are. There's a a sense in which sometimes the Bible becomes a bit like a black mirror before us. Have you seen the series Black Mirror, where it sort of portrays what humanity is really like in all its ugliness, or in its extremes, in order that we might see ourselves. I think sometimes the Bible works in that kind of a way, in that it shows us exactly who we are. And I think verse 10 through to about 18 here, I think the mirror is really reflecting in on what it's like to be uh, to be human. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who are asking for a king. He said, this is what the king will reign over you, will claim as his rights, he'll take your sons, and make them serve with his chariots and horses. This is what's gonna happen to you, he's saying. This is what the king will do, the king that you want, the king that you think's gonna get you out of this corner He's gonna make people run in front of his chariots. Some he'll assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of 50. He's gonna get him to be in his army. Others he'll plow the ground and reap. Others will plow the ground and reap his harvest. And still others will make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He'll tax you, this king. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage, and give it to his officials and attendants. He'll take your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys. He'll take them for his own use. He'll tax you again, more and more tax. He'll take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves, you yourselves will become his slaves. This will be the outcome. It's a warning for the nation of Israel. I think to us, he says... If, if you, Israel, raise something up higher than me, because I think that's what's at stake here. The people are saying, we want a king to get us out of this pickle. We don't think that you're going to be able to do this. If you raise something up higher than me, you're going to lose more and you're going to be enslaved Think about that in the context of all of the little things that we raise up. And if you stop to think about that long enough, what you'll say, if you're still with us, you'll say, I think you've been a bit dramatic, Ash. I think you've been a bit over the top in how these things that I raise up as my own little kings affect my life. Well, just think with me a second. Just work this through for a second. Think about some of the things uh, that we raise up that can end up being unhelpful. So you've got perhaps, let's just imagine somebody who's, got a job. Career's their thing. They're working hard, and as they're working through their job, what's really important to them is that they're able to provide. They get a bit of a kick out of the job, and it's good. We've, we've had a series on work. We're called to work. I believe God gives us stuff to do. There's good in that, but what happens when that thing gets higher and higher and higher? Good thing. Something that God's given us to do that allows us to provide for the people that we love, that we can enjoy ourselves, that does good for the creation that we live in. What happens with that good thing if it gets raised higher and higher? If it goes above about, being about more than just provision, if it goes above our family or our friends, if it goes above even ourselves, or if it goes above God, what happens to us when we become workaholics, when work's our main thing? It enslaves us. Millions of people around the globe are enslaved by their job, and we start to, no, we stop benefiting from it, and we actually start to lose stuff if it takes such a high place. Another example be popularity, a really good thing. It's nice to be popular, isn't it? It's like we want people to like us. We want to engage with people on that level. I think increasingly in the world that we live in, what happens when that doesn't just become something that's kind of nice and kind of a healthy thing, but it just becomes, and we can see, I think, probably there's other places that we can see it, but it's really obvious on social media, there's places where that, that's all that it, life becomes be about. Just about being popular, it becomes everything. It rules over everything. You know, and It ends up where you see being popular governs over morality, friendships, loyalty, everything. What happens when that becomes the case? We go looking for likes, we get enslaved to it, and we start to lose stuff. This is the warning from God, I think, from his word. Anything we place so high, anything we put in God's place, means that somewhere down the line, there'll be loss and enslavement. And I think our world is so shaped like this, and we get this awesome, chastening verse at the end of the passage, in verse 18, which gives us a glimpse as to where it can go, I think it says. After all this, when that day comes, the penny will drop for you. I think that's what it says. You'll cry out for relief from the king you've chosen, but the Lord won't answer you in that day. Takes it to the blackest point of the mirror. It says, you carry on like this raising all this stuff up to unhealthily high places, you're gonna reach a point in your life where you're gonna realize the folly of it and you're gonna cry out. And there will be a point down the line, there'll be a point down the line when God won't even hear that. Can we really be free? Is freedom really what it's all about? Who is freer? The Christian? or somebody who's not caught up in all that religious stuff. Here's what I think. And I think I see this as I, as I stick my news on and I, as I hear people's chat and I hear the ache of their hearts. I think we know that we need a different king. I think we know that some of the stuff we raise up in our lives as our way through, as the thing that's gonna get us through the difficulty, as the thing that's gonna keep us, I think we know that's not gonna work out. I think we almost don't. Look, I think as we turn on the news and listen to our friends chat, I think we hear that cry. We hear the cry that God's word talks about, the cry that goes out and says, this isn't doing it for me. This isn't enough for me. Another big theme in the Bible is the theme of the king, the idea of a king. One a simplistic way of looking at the meta narrative of the Bible would be to say that the right king can make all the difference. The wrong king can make all the difference, but the right king can make all the difference. Look, and I guess the arc of the story unfolds towards King Jesus, who is rejected. But the right king can make all the difference. The king that's chosen in the text, the kind of king that we put over us, would eventually become King Saul that Matteo is gonna speak about next week. He's gonna be strong, but he abuses his strength. King Jesus comes from strength, but he makes himself weak so that people will follow him. Our king would be tall and handsome like Saul, a show of strength. King Jesus, the Bible says, has nothing about his appearance, that we would desire him. Our king, like the king Israel chooses, like our kings in reality and in our life often do, would send our citizens in front of the chariots to secure the kingdom. King Jesus goes before us and with us in everything that he asks us to do. The king that we would choose and the king Israel chooses, said it over and over again, we'll tax, we'll take a tenth of this and a tenth of that. Whatever you've got that's the best, the king will take it. Man, we know that story, don't we? Take it and use it for his own end. King Jesus eats with the tax collectors and somehow, by the grace of God, encourages them to give back the things that they've taken. The king that we would choose would take and take and take and take. And yet, as we look at King Jesus, we see him give and give and give and give until there's nothing left. The king that we would choose, I would say, would completely enslave us in time. The little kings that we choose, the things that we choose to get us through are the big kings. They're actually in charge of this world. They'll enslave us and wrap us up. And yet, what do we read about King Jesus. He comes and he sets the prisoners free, sets the captives free. How? Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. I don't know if we've got it up on the screen. It says this. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law... This takes a second. Just breathe it in. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law... Of sin and death is what it's saying in a in as simplistic a language as I can come up with. By the Spirit's power, the faith that you've got that all your salvation is wrapped up in Jesus, death and his resurrection, is the same faith by the power of spirit that'll allow you to begin to see through to see the folly in and the futility in all these little things that you take and elevate into unhelpfully high places. This is the kind of freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. This is, is it real freedom? Can we be really free? I got stuck on this Friday night, Saturday night wrestling with this. Should I use the language, are we really free? Is that what we are? Is that the end game? I settled on sometime this afternoon it's not freedom. It's better than that. What we've got is better than that. We are not captives any longer. We're not bound in that way, but we are captivated. We are completely taken up to the extent that we'll do almost anything. We are slaves to righteousness. We are bound. No, we're not bound. But we are bound up in love. We are given freely given freedom, freely given, that we might freely give. This is what we are in Christ Jesus.
1: So I'm not sure how many of you have been with us for our whole uh, series in Samuel. If you haven't, it's really worth uh, catching up on some of the um, the, uh, talks and things like that. Are you just checking that we're all in? Yep. Um, they are available online uh, if you want to catch them. One of the things that I've really loved about it is um, that we think that identity and that kind of who we are is very unique to our culture just now, and that uh, we're the only ones that have ever really struggled with this, and we're the first ones to really explore it at its fullest level. We've kind of, I don't know if that's just me, but we've kind of got a sense of that. And what I love, really, it's quite encouraging to know that literally thousands of years ago, here were a group of people who were struggling with who they were, who, who they were as an identity. And we think about, like, we've got, in our country, we've gone through Brexit and, you know, like, all those kind of things. And here were the people of Israel. And I, I, did I get this right, Ash, when you, when you were talking about Samuel the other week as it being like a campfire story? Yes. Mm. So, people of Israel have come out of Egypt, mm. they've gone through Joshua, they've conquered the land, and then actually they've been taken enslaved to Babylon, and that's where Samuel is written to kind of remind them of their identity. Have I got, have I got that right?
0: That's how I seem to that's how I figure it, I it. Probably. <laughs> yeah, that's how I seem to... Figure it. I think it, it reads to me like oh, these stories were in circulation, all known. Don't know how much they're written down, but it seems to me like they were sort of gathered together as they sat around and tried to, yeah, go over what it was that made them a people in another nation. Yeah.
1: And and so, what what is the author's big point then, Paul? If you had to sum up the book of Samuel and kind of, you know, one big idea, what is what, Who are the Israelites?
2: Um. Well, I think the story right the way through is trying to remind the people that they're, they're Yahweh's people, okay. that they're, they're God's people. Um, and, and as we, as we say, it's, kind of, it's written at a time where they would most not feel like God's people, or it's come brought together at a time when they would most feel not like God's people. They're in captivity again. Uh, but the storyline is continually God intervening against their better judgment, and in a sense, I think it's, in one sense, it's brought together uh, at that time when they're fe- where they're feeling uh, so un- unlike God's people. But at the same time, we've got this, we've got this scribe of God, this storyline of God throughout the whole of the Bible, which is always taking them to a place where they didn't expect, which is Jesus. Okay. So it's this constant story of you want a king you've rejected me as a king, you want a king, I'll give you a king. It's going to be a disaster, I'll give you a better king, but it's going to turn around to a disaster and you're going to have this cycle of kings and failures and disasters. And it's all telling you, you desperately want a king, I'll give you a better king. And that's where Jesus bursts onto the scene and and resolves all of the tension from the from the past storyline, really. He becomes the answer. And yet, paradoxically, they reject him even then.
1: So in that sense, then, the people of Israel, their identity is in that they're looking for a Messiah.
2: Yes, they're looking to be saved. Their their idea of what a Messiah looks like is very different to what a Messiah actually becomes.
1: Okay.
2: Uh, You know, it's the old adage that game of chess, you, you can't kill the king. And yet we see Jesus, the king, dying, which is just so... So out of touch with the mindset of, of the ancient world, it's impossible that that can be king. And yet God turns that around and shows that he okay. is king.
1: So, Ash, what do you think about in terms of like, the people of God who, who we understand ourselves to be, we understand ourselves as Christians to be God's people, and then the people of God as they understood themselves in the Old Testament. In what ways are we really like them? And what ways are we different
0: so that In terms
1: of identity. I know, I'm sorry, you've just <laughs> preached, is <did> you? <laughs> Shall I go first? No, ask me, ask me, I'm good. I'm just... So we're talking about this group of people who are desperate to be saved and desperate to look to God for saving, but not quite getting always the way that God's going to save them. I think mm. that's what mm. you were saying.
2: Yeah, yeah. Is that yeah. a fair
1: summary? Yeah. Um, and I guess what I'm saying is, for us, same, we, have, we carry similar characteristics, don't we? We look to God to being saved and we, we cry out. But God, in what ways are we like them and what ways are we different from them?
0: So I think one of the, one of the similarities that runs right through is the idea of is sacrifice. So I think there are, the Israelites would crack on and much of their storyline would be about sacrifice. And one of the ways that they would under, come to understand God? Would have been living this sacrificial life, so we are similar to them in that sacrifice is part of our story. But I think one of the things that we get to see looking back at the cross, particularly, is that we see we see an, we see an amazing sacrifice. They were looking forward, or well, I guess whether they knew it or not, they where they were, they hadn't seen this amazing sacrifice yet, and yet we. We still are called to live, I think, sacrificial lives and experience sacrifice and we follow a sacrificial Saviour. But, but we've seen the kind of sacrifice that can really change things. Can I mean, Maybe the argument would be, can change you from the inside out, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Yes, and that sacrifice is final now. We're we are not continuously living that through Jesus, That's that's a good point. Mm-hmm. So thinking about then this mix of people who understand sacrifice, people who are li- looking to God and living to a saviour, po- Israelites seem to have got that mixed up in politics, though. And I guess as I'm kind of reading that and I'm thinking, is it ever a good idea for that to be mixed together, for politics and faith? To, does that ever look good? Hmm.
2: Well, thanks, Jude. That's a great question.
1: <laughs> Gave that one um, to Paul. No, I think...
2: Um, <laughs> I I think one thing that I would say is that the whole of human history has been a constant experiment uh, about the idea of freedom. Every human idea is about how we create freedom. So you've got Adam Smith writes The Wealth of Nations, which influences the French Revolution, which brings a whole kind of turning over of the, um, the monarchy concept. We go through the kind of Age of Enlightenment. We go through two world wars. Uh, we go through the whole journey that we see going on in Eastern Europe now. We see, uh, we see experiments in freedom even now. We've got, we've got people in authority and in rule who nobody trusts. And so what we do is we create another idea of freedom. We'll create currency freedom. So we have cryptocurrency which is going on at the moment. We've got this constant backdrop of no, no political force will ever bring us hope, no matter which side of the fence they sit on. And, and I think we are so like, that this, this story is so relevant to us today, because what we're, we're in the place of being able to say, everywhere we turn, every experiment in hope and freedom that we've looked at has failed or is failing and, and the one, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with crypto. It might destroy fiat currencies forever, and we'll all carry digital currency. And, I'm but not even fa- really sure what
1: crypto you know, is, Paul, good but good. I take your word for it. <laughs>
2: but, but it will fall over at some point. It will fall over at some point. And, and what Jesus says 2,000 years ago is I'm bringing, you, bringing in a, a new concept of kingdom. And the kingdom is my people. And it's not bound by geographical nature, nations. It's not even bound by time. We're as much part of that kingdom as those first believers. Uh, And that idea is so revolutionary, so mind-blowing, and yet so filled with hope if Jesus the King rose from the dead. That, That for me, right at this moment in time, more than possibly any time in my life, I think I'm feeling that the only hope that we've got is the message of the Bible, Is the hope of the gospel, that, that the idea of a, of a king who is above all of this mess, mm-hmm. right wing, left wing, whatever it might be. So, I, I think there's a, there's there's a kind of... so
1: many examples of kingdoms yeah. failing, isn't uh, there? Yeah, all over absolutely. the place, all our, our own efforts of making things totally, good. totally. Are just, there is so many examples.
2: I, and we try that. to create a righteous nation, and a righteous nation becomes just like that, mm-hmm. corrupt. Yes. you know that—that's—that's—and we that's see that as, as well. We see so right? it. Oh. We see oh. it.
1: Um, so, Ash, maybe just lastly, as we kind of wrap up, and thanks for being with us um, as we just chat this out.
0: And well done to the kids' clubs leaders who are well into the realms of winging it, now. <laughs> <laughs> which, I, which I know about.
1: Um, uh, can you talk to us? Can you just, in terms of that idea that Paul talked about, about being a citizen of a kingdom that actually does bring us hope? and reigns forever because we know we can have that hope of the resurrection of jesus i might have just but what does is that look like that? <laughs> what does that look like for you this week <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, it looks like a pastoral retreat monday tuesday that's like, <laughs> which is what's happening i think um just the different kind of the hashtag blessed world which is an interesting world when when we come like that but i think what actually understanding what it means to be blessed Understanding what God's having the insight of what God's doing with His kingdom, the security that He's going to wrap it up in the end. Um, whether you can forgive or not, or whether you can love or not, or you can find peace or not, just that encouragement to know that that is there. You know, in in Christ, you find it because you you see it in in Jesus. Yes. I think that just that is how it's different. Not not that I, not that you in a holy Joe way can always achieve it but just that you go I think I know what, this, what it means to be blessed mm-hmm. I think I've got an idea about what that is from seeing Jesus mm-hmm. and that could be enough to make you do that would be enough for me to if, if or when I blow it tomorrow morning having preached tonight and I shout at somebody in the car or something like that it will be enough to um, gently lovingly steer me back on the right direction thanks Thanks
1: for that. Any other thoughts, Paul,
2: or are you going to close in prayer? Yeah, I can close. That's fine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great hope that comes from King Jesus. Uh, We look at this story and we see a people uh, who, who didn't have a king. They had religious leaders who became corrupt. But we know that they got a king who equally became corrupt. And we thank you that the only king that we can see is a king who is not corrupt, who is righteous and good. And defeated death by his own sacrifice. And through his resurrection, we can say we have a king who lives. We pray that we might live day by day in that hope. In Jesus' name. Amen.